Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. The Opera House had been a frequent uh, concert venue for uh, the tours that we'd done. And then we left in 1991 really with failure over our heads. And we returned in 2019 with this fully sold out tour and these two concerts in the Sydney Opera House. And it was, I don't know, it was a significant family moment, you know, and and we knew that God had restored, redeemed and, and done a unique work. And we were very grateful. The Smallbone family has an absolutely amazing story of how if you let God lead, amazing things can happen. We're joined today by Helen Smallbone. She is a mother of seven. Her kids include Rebecca St. James, as well as for King Country's Joel and Luke. Today on Connections, she's going to share her family's story of how they went from absolutely nothing to the success they have today. She's also going to share with us how important her faith was in all of this. We're joined today by Helen Smallbone. She is a mother of seven. She's also the author of the book Behind the Lights, The Extraordinary Adventure of a Mom and Her Family. When we hear your last name, Smallbone, we think of the Smallbone family. We think of successful, uh, well-known family. You, you know, you've got your children in the music industry doing very well. That hasn't always been the case. It has been a roller coaster ride for your family. Take us back in time and take us on that journey from Australia to the US. Mm-hmm. Well, Colleen, we've been in America now for 30 years. Uh, we just celebrated that anniversary uh, in August last year. Um, it has been definitely a different life than what we would have ever planned or thought that we were going to have. Uh, 30 plus years ago in Australia, um, we, David and my husband, David and I were living a fairly normal life in a suburb in Sydney. We had maybe the only abnormal thing was that we had six kids. Um, but, um, you know, the kids were in Christian schools. Uh, he had a passion for making a difference in people's lives and he had a passion for Christian music. Um, and so he was really Mr. Christian music in Australia. He was promoting, um, Christian concerts back there. He had a small record company. He was into artist management um, and also distribution of uh, international um, records as well through Australia. So, you know, it was, um, I don't know, a normal sort of life in, in lots of ways. And then um, he ended up marketing a tour in Australia uh, that lost us a quarter of a million dollars, and that was in about 1988. And you don't lose that sort of money in a business and not have major life change. And so we ended up realising um, he had a couple of other opportunities as well uh, that he thought might help us, uh, and both those doors closed as well. So at the beginning of 1991, as the second, third door had actually shut of an opportunity for him to remain in Christian music. He came over to America to, because he had pretty good relationships with a lot of management and artists in America, um, managed to find a artist who would have him manage them, him, yeah. And so um, 
he, we came to America in August of 1991 with 16 suitcases, six children and me being pregnant uh, with number seven. Uh, and most people would not do such a crazy thing. Mm-hmm. And if they did even travel to the other side of the world, they're going to have a nest egg, they're going to have some security. Um, we did not have that. But I think we had we knew that to stay in Australia, he would not be able to pursue his dreams and his love, which was Christian music. And he even had realised that to continue to do what he was doing in Australia, he probably, the stress of it was pretty overwhelming at times and that he would um, not survive too long. <laughs> um, and so this opportunity came up. So we saw it as the only door that was opening for us. So we made that venture and came over here. You came here with, like you said, those 16 suitcases. But besides that, you had absolutely nothing. This was all out of faith. What was that like to arrive in America and kind of just be like, like, where do do we go now? What do we do now? (laughs) I think there were probably for me, and and I've asked myself, you know, because a lot of people have said, well, how did you feel? I don't think I was that afraid to tell you the honest truth. I think it was obvious that there were no other openings in Australia, so we had to do something dramatic if he was to stay in his loves. Then secondly, I had a sense that God was opening a new opportunity. And then I really knew that David was a like he's an optimist, but he's a goer, like he's persistent and consistent. But persistency is one of his major traits. So I knew that he would try everything. You know, he's a he's a problem solver when when he's pushed he finds a way. So I felt like I think I trusted God and I think I trusted David's just innate ability to make things happen. Um, and I have I'm very graciously, God gave me a spirit of an adventure. <laughs> and so I just saw it as a bit of an adventure. I mean, what's the worst thing can happen? We just go back to Australia. So, you know, we were together. I will say there was great security in being together. So we ended up homeschooling. Uh, we'd started that just before we left at the beginning of 1991 in Australia and uh, we continued to homeschool so that we could hunker down together. And we just, as a family, we would pray and we were praying in those days for very specific things. So God had given us a rental home in a suburb of Nashville, um, but we had no furniture. The kids were sleeping on their winter clothes made with yeah. some sheets into a bed Um and we were treating it really as sort of glamping in a way. We were camping out in a house um, and they never knew what the next day was going to bring, but we were consistently praying that God would open opportunities for us. And plenty of opportunities came along the way, but I want to know what that was like. You, okay, I have two kids. I, you know, <laughs> if you get hit with something like that, it, it, I don't, I mean, I personally, which I would be challenged by that, <laughs> just with my yeah. two kids. You were pregnant and had yeah. six other children. How did you yeah. manage to keep it all together for these children? Because uh, when you when you listen to them now and when you listen to them speak, yes, you're saying all these things. They slept on their winter clothes. You had no furniture, but they felt loved that entire time. How did yeah. you keep it all together through that? 
Um, I think it has to be some a, a bit of a divine preparation. I think I had a very strong faith in Jesus um, and I loved being together. So the kids were a blessing um, and they were my total focus. So I was the one who was maintaining really the home um, and between praying and, you know what, when God gives you little things, that can often, and I will say, Overall, I tend to have a positive mindset. Mm. So that's I'm, I look for the things to be thankful for. I think that plays a huge part, Colleen, in handling the curveballs that life throws you. Mm. Second is recognising the promises of God and standing on some of those. He says that he will give us what we need, that he will look after us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Standing on the, in the hard times, standing on the promises of God, knowing what he says and just believing it and having faith. And then thirdly, I think looking for the hand of God in our situation. And so when people, you know, we lived in a small neighbourhood, we were actually on the main road into the neighbourhood, and so people would see us, and we were pretty obvious. I mean, here I am, an (laughs) eight-month pregnant woman if I'm outside with six small children or six children under 14, and we were pretty obvious as people were driving in and out of the uh, of the neighbourhood. And so it doesn't take long before people start talking. <laughs> and, and then we had, had people who would come up and sort of talk to us and find out what our needs were. And then we started seeing opportunities in the neighbourhood for Rebecca was babysitting and, um, and then she started cleaning houses. Um, we had people who would drop groceries off on our doorstep. And and those were the encouragements. God knew we needed encouragement. And those were the encouragements of people loving on us, of caring, that enabled us to go from day to day. And, frankly, we were probably just living day to day in lots of ways. Um, the kids actually, through the first couple of years, were the ones who pretty much put food on the table. The management jobs that David had, the first one he lost uh, a couple of months after we were here, which was pretty devastating. Um, Then he picked up another one about a month later. Uh, He was covering our basic bills, Um, but it was the kids working that put food on the table. They were, um, we did, we were given a couple of mowers and Daniel ended up, who was 12, 13. He ended up doing a mowing business, which we would all do. We were raking lawns in the fall. Um, as I say, Rebecca was babysitting and cleaning houses. Daniel ended up working at a flea market and would just bring home money, what he was paid, and just give it straight to us. So they felt valued. Um, they felt a purpose. They felt safe in that we were together. And I think those elements of, are the basic elements that we all need. And uh, and they felt loved. Um, and I I will say one other thing that I think is so important. We as women hold a big place in our homes. And I I had very strong role models in both my parents, my mum and David's mum, very different ladies, but both very godly, um, more traditional wives, you know, stay-at-home mums, you know, just loving on their family and their husbands. And those role models, we don't understand the legacy often that we leave our kids, you know. Um, 
and those who follow after us, but they showed me what it really meant in that hard times. I suppose I looked to David to some degree when he'd lost everything, and but more importantly, I was looking to God to love and support us and to provide for us as our provider. And in doing that, the one thing that could have destroyed everything, it would have destroyed the ensuing careers of Rebecca St. James and for King Country, is if I had of um, criticised David, sort of said, well, what on earth are you doing? Why did you lose all that money? Mm. Couldn't you have seen what this is going to do to our family? If I had bad-mouthed him, criticised him, been harsh towards him, he literally would have curled up and died. I mean, not emotionally, he just would have died. And then he would have taken on anything that would have provided for us and lived it out just, I don't know, to make to, to make ends meet. So, so our words are just so important. Our attitudes are just so important. And David was so vulnerable in those days that if I had have had an attitude of criticism or I had have spoken that, our, the trajectory of our life looks so differently. And it's so important as women, as mums, as wives, to remember the effect of our words. And at the end of the day, God is our provider. He is the one we've got to look to, not to our husbands, not to a job, not to even our culture. It's God. Let God lead. As a mom, it's it, when you hear words like that, it's it, it's a reminder. It's important to remember to let God lead, and like you said, to not bear into those emotions or dig into those emotions that that can so often take you down a very negative path, right? Like that's correct. Yes. Yeah, and our <laughs> words matter. Our words matter. Um, our words are powerful. And the thing that challenges me, I, I you know, God's brilliance, I think, in putting us in families because we. Often we don't even have to use the words. Do you know what I mean? We so mm-hmm. understand each other that it's a look, that it's a demeanour walking into a room where just just your presence speaks more than words. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the challenge there is, is we've actually got to get the core of who we are into relationship with God where our trust is so active that it actually infiltrates of who we are and 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 so I suppose that that's a huge challenge so I see in the fact that we're in families that we're loving on each other that we have this unspoken communication we actually have to do the due diligence of getting ourselves right before God so that those relationships those love relationships that are so close to us in our families they know how cherished and how loved they are and in that they can feel secure a lot of people we've interviewed on this show, if they had been through a situation like this, we sometimes will hear, you know, I was angry at God. I I lost track of my faith during this situation. But what I'm hearing from you is your faith throughout this got stronger and stronger. Can you share a little bit more about that? You, the, I sometimes think that we in the Western world live so fat and satisfied that we actually don't leave much room for God to uh, act, to to actually care for us. And so in this particular circumstance, we had no nest egg to rely on. We had no provision that we could actually 
turned back to we were in a place where we were providing for ourselves. So we were actually needing him to show up Mm. on a day-by-day basis. And when you see him show up, when you're living on the edge that much and you see him show up, you you know you're in his will, you know he's with you, you know that he's providing for you, it changes you. And I think that's the change that took place not only inside David and me and set a whole new foundation for who we are, but it did to our kids as well. And, you know, Rebecca got signed at 16 and then um, she ended up becoming Rebecca St. James and having a 20-year career in, in Christian music. Um, it These things of where we see that God provided us with a car, that we were given money here, that 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 we were someone paid for our little uh, for my youngest daughter to be to be um, born in the hospital we even turned up at the hospital and they said where's your thousand dollars deposit and David's Mm -hmm. like well no one ever asked us for a thousand dollars deposit well you can't have a baby born in this hospital as a self-pay patient without deposit well he said well we're here and she's being crept upstairs those are miracles like you sit back and you say these are things that are not under, you can't rationalise this stuff out. Like these are God, provision, miracles, and it changes you. And so the kids, because they walk so closely this path with us, they were actually able to understand the provision of God and it impacted them into a deep level as well. You're sharing your story now in your book, Behind the Lights, The Extraordinary Adventure of a Mom and Her Family. Why share it now? Well, that's a good question. Um, again, I suppose it's not my sweet spot to be uh, to be out and about, like to be, I don't know, outspoken. But it, uh, it, it ever since, um, I suppose, even during Rebecca's years, and now I think it's even more shocking with the success of the King Country that the one family has, you know two, three children who are all Grammy award-winning artists mm. and uh, getting accolades, people will listen to parts of our story because it's, it's, it's our brokenness and our failures that have defined us. Um, and they will say, oh, gosh, you need to write a book one day. And, I'm, and it was sort <laughs> of one of those things where you're like, yeah, 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 one day. And then I, I suppose for whatever reason, I always knew that a book would be written Whatever reason, I always knew that I would write it. Now, why? Maybe because I was living uh, amidst the family on a day-by-day basis where David was much more focused on work, um, the kids on what they were doing. And so it was always that I would write it. And then we were doing, uh, in 2019, God gave us a very, I don't know, redemptive, full-circle sort of experience in the Fakin country, returned to Australia and uh, we had an all-sold-out tour in Australia that included two sold-out performances at the Sydney Opera House. Oh. And you, when you put it into perspective of our life, um, when Rebecca was a six-week-old baby, the first one of the first concerts we, well, sorry, we did a concert. She was the first concert she attended was a Larry Norman concert in Sydney in the Sydney Opera House when she, in 1977 when she was a six-week-old baby. So the Opera House had been a frequent uh, concert venue for uh, the tours that we'd done. And then 
we left in 1991 really with failure over our heads mm-hmm. and we returned in 2019 with this fully sold out tour and these two concerts in the Sydney Opera House and it was I don't know it was a significant family moment you know and and we knew that God had restored redeemed and and done a unique work and we were very grateful and so we ended up having Ben who's our filmmaker come down and record both those shows uh it was an emotional moment for all of us um particularly I think David for me mm. and when they were looking at the film footage about six months later um, in 2019, they were saying, so what do we do with this stuff now? And they were looking at some of the film footage and the producer said, "This Ben, this isn't a live video at the concert video at the Opera House. This is a documentary. This is a documentary of your story and God's redemption. And so they ended up within another I don't know, maybe it took a little bit, but they ended up starting this documentary. It meant going through all the archives of Rebecca's work, um, filling in pieces and blanks and all those sorts of things, photos, old videos, and they have pieced it together. And as they were out at our farm um, just outside of Franklin in Tennessee, they they were filming, um, interviewing David and me for this documentary. And as we were telling some stories around the dinner table afterwards, the game, the same producer said, Helen, when are you going to write a book? And for whatever reason, a switch flipped. And I'm like, you're right, the time's right. And within six months I had a, you know, publishing deal and, you know, another six months or a year I had the book written. Wow. That is great. Like within a year is really, really fast turnaround <laughs> to get a book out. Well, that, well, actually it wasn't published, I suppose. It really took more like 20 <laughs> months, I think, to actually go from that place to, to, to having a book in hand. But, you know, you're, you're right, the process isn't that quick. But it, it's still just for whatever reason, I just knew that the time was right. So, and that's what I'm always endeavouring to do because and it, it showed me actually something Sometimes in our lives we know that God is leading us to a certain place or we know that mm. God is going to do a certain work in it. But then if we rush into it and go before his timing, it can end up not turning out the way that we wanted it to. And I recognised within this project so much of the importance of his time and allowing him to not only just give you the desire to prepare you but to actually um allow him to have his timing as well. It's a perfect timing too for, there's a lot of people nowadays that have lost hope and forget that if you let God lead, amazing things can happen. Definitely perfect timing. What is your hope overall for this book at the end of the day? Uh, the reason why I wrote the book, and it's been funny because um, as in a family scenario, the kids actually never helped me on the process even though I'm writing about our family life, um, I did read these, um, the, the sort of the script or, to David before we, um, we okayed sort of moving forward. I wanted to make sure he was happy with it all, but I never read it to the kids. They never actually contributed. So when the book 
was in our hands at the beginning of April um, was the first time that they had actually seen it. And one of my sons, it was actually Ben, who's a storyteller, he said, I'm intrigued with the stories that you put in the book and the stories that you didn't, which for a storyteller is actually mm. a, a very valid comment. And the reasons why I've included the stories that I've included, which are because I really want the book to encourage people to trust Jesus more, to look for his hand in their lives, because we all have a story. We all are doing a unique work and have a unique purpose to look for his hand. And sometimes his hand will be closing doors, but it's because he's got a new direction or something better. And then to also look at how the lessons that he taught me through our journey and also to um, to give him recognition of his redemption and uh, the unique work that he has done. Because I look at my life now or our lives and I see us living out Ephesians 3.20, which says God can do much, much more than anything we could ask for or even imagine through his power and to his glory. That's, that's, that's not an exact translation. That's a, that's a Helen translation. But I've seen that lived out in our lives. I wish I could talk to you for hours upon hours because <laughs> you have so much to share, but we're running out of time for people who want to learn more about you or want to pick up your book. How can they go about doing that? Well, I think the book is available anywhere where they buy books. I know it's available on Amazon. Um, uh, I have a uh, Facebook author page where I try and keep up some posts of just encouraging people on their journeys. Um, and uh, they are welcome to plug into Mum Life Community, which is a podcast through Access More that I'm a part of. And uh, if they're mums and they want more encouragement, that's probably a great place to sort of plug in. And if you like listening to an Australian accent uh, mm-hmm. occasionally, then that, that's a, that, that, can, uh, that can be a place where they can uh, continue um, sort of getting bits and pieces. And a mum with plenty of experience. I, I must say, <laughs> uh, you know, the, Luke and Courtney have four kids and um, a couple of others have three. But I, it's, it's an interesting scenario now because our kids are in the same age grab backwards as we were when we came to Australia and they're doing life with three kids, two kids, four kids. And they, we've, David and I have actually grown in respect because they're like, I just don't know how you did this. I just don't know how you did it. I don't know how you did it with, with like just six kids, let alone, you know, coming to America with six kids and that you were raised seven kids. Like, uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty interesting scenario to be in to see them in uh, similar places and, and uh, just dumbfounded with, with how we manage what we manage. But, I don't know. And they ask and I say, well, you do it one step at a time and you put one hand in Jesus' hand and uh, you, uh, you, just, you just take one step. That's definitely the way to do it. Thank you so much for making time for us. We truly appreciate it. Thank you, Colleen. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.